Well, let's turn to the book of Galatians, chapter 5. I'll begin reading with verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary one to another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, this evening we're going to be talking about the fruit of the Spirit that is stated here to be peace. And perhaps if we get through that quickly enough, we'll also go on to long-suffering and kindness. The, um, the process of talking about these fruits of the Spirit, I think is a very beneficial process. It's something that calls our attention to some very good things, just as our attention was called to some very evil things that we as Christians are to avoid when we talk about the works of the flesh. And as we talk about this term, peace, we're going to be looking up various passages of Scripture. And the reason for looking up and reading examples of how the word is used, in this case the word peace, is twofold. First of all, to give us a better feel for the meaning of the word. And second, to bring to light related aspects of the truth represented in the present passage in regard to this particular fruit of the Spirit. So we get an idea of the meaning of the word and we also have reinforced for us just what the relevance of this term peace is for us as Christians. And so on also with the rest of the words we'll be looking at. Now, the word peace, we really have no problem of translation with this word. The English word is an excellent translation of the Greek word. Uh, according to Vine, it is used to describe harmonious relationships between men. Uh, I think this is probably the first thing we think of when we think about the term peace. Uh, an example of this is found in Romans chapter 14. And I'll begin reading with verse 15. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you're no longer walking in love. Now this is the problem Paul is discussing of, of what you eat that might offend your brother. 
But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother, excuse me, do not destroy your food, do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. It's the last part of verse 15. Therefore do not let your good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. So the topic under discussion is the relationship between Christians over an issue of what is acceptable to eat And in this context, Paul says, let's pursue peace. And the the method for doing that is for the stronger brother to give deference to the weaker and to forego that which he normally would eat, what he believes correctly he can eat without any problem. And he foregoes it for the sake of his weaker brother in the pursuit of peace. And then the word is used for peace between nations. An example of that is found in Luke chapter 14, beginning with verse 31. Words of Christ. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So it's a word that is used to describe peaceful relationship between nations. Now, I might just pause there and say that uh, warfare between nations is so common so common today, has been so common throughout history, that we almost think of it as just normal. It's like uh, having a cold. But if you remember, having a cold is really not normal. That's not the way God designed the human race in the beginning. And a cold is just a mild version of illness, and illness can be very severe. It can be unto death. And these things are not normal. Uh, and even though they appear to be so ordinary and so usual, they're not. They're evils. Uh, and warfare is a great evil. And it's uh, an evil that causes tremendous misery. So peace between nations, just as peace between individuals, is a wonderful thing when it happens. Uh, And then it can mean just friendliness. Example of this is found in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. Uh, Interesting example, I think. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe, when she had received the spies with peace. Now here was her own nation at warfare, or at least in danger of being demolished or or destroyed 
by the Jewish nation and the Jewish nation operating directly under the the uh, ordinance of God. Uh, one of those instances in which warfare, uh, even though it's a terrible thing and even though it causes death and misery, uh, was a good thing because it was used by God to judge those who were in extreme evil. And here is this woman whose profession is holotry. And she receives the spies with peace. Just friendliness. She accepts them into her house. And we know the reason, if we re- go back and, and look at the uh, historical account, it was because she, along with all the other people, had heard what God had been doing uh, through His people. And the the danger that she was in, and she recognized that this was the true God. And so it was an act of faith. That was what was underneath it. And this is what the passage in Hebrews says. But it was an act of friendliness to these spies. And then it can mean freedom from molestation. Uh, an example would be Luke uh, chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, verse 21. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. They're free from being molested because there's a strong man guarding them. But notice the context, which I think is interesting. The context is uh, the action of Satan and of demons. And Christ talking about how demons can be defeated and how they are defeated and justifying his own casting out of demons by saying that look uh, you don't it's it's totally unnatural to think that a demon would cast out a demon a house divided against itself cannot stand and so those who have accused me of casting out demons by the power of demons are not only confused and not only self-contradictory, but they are in danger of a very, very horrible sin. And uh, he gives this illustration, when a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. Well, a similar situation exists with us, doesn't it? We have a strong man guarding our palace. We have the Holy Spirit within us, guarding us. And so, what we have, what we possess, and not just in terms of material possessions, but what we possess spiritually, the wonderful benefits of the Gospel, we hold in peace because we have the Holy Spirit protecting us and we don't have to fear molestation from demons. And then it can refer to order within a state. Acts chapter 24, verse 2. And when he was called upon, Tertullius began his accusation. This is an accusation against Paul. Saying, seeing that through you we enjoy great peace and prosperity. Prosperity is being brought to this nation by your foresight. We accept it always. This is his introduction to his speech. Praising the ruler and acknowledging that through this ruler and his wise rule, they all enjoy peace. 
So you see, this word is used uh, in Scripture just like we use the word peace uh, all the time. And then it can carry the sense of rest and contentment deriving from the effect of the gospel. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And then it means the harmonized relationship between God and man that's accomplished through the gospel. We see this in Acts chapter 10, verse 36. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. And then it can mean both of these things. Not only the rest and contentment deriving from the effects of the gospel and the harmonized relationship between God and man, but uh, both of them together. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only a legal peace, but a practical peace and a consciousness of peace. All of it we have with God. What a tremendous uh, benefit. Now, peace then is a gift or a fruit of the Spirit. It's fundamentally peace with God, both legal and practical and conscious. And this peace with God brings a tendency to peace with all those around us. And I think a good example of this is found in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 7. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now these passages basically illustrate the meaning of the word, but I'd like to look at some more passages in regard to peace that uh, I think will admonish us in regard to this subject. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20. For I fear when I come, I shall not find you such as I wish, and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish, lest there be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, tumults. This is what Paul feared he would find among the Christians when he got to Corinth. And then compare this with verse thirteen, uh, chapter 13, verse 11. Finally, brethren, farewell. Become complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Then let's look at Ephesians chapter 2 beginning with verse 11. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, this was the position of Gentiles in relationship to the Jewish nation. The Jews had the covenants of promise. 
Now the Jews took this a step further than Scripture really allowed, and they despised and hated the Gentiles. Uh, they abhorred the Gentiles. They would not even go into a Gentile house and eat with them. This is one reason that uh, a lot of times, very frequently, modern commentators say that it was racism between the Jew and the Gentile. Technically, it actually was not racism, but it carried so much of what racism is all about. It was so much like racism that, that people just say, go ahead and say, well, it was racism. Technically, it was not. I mean, the Jews were perfectly willing to take Gentiles into the commonwealth of Israel if they'd be circumcised, become proselytes, they were perfectly acceptable, would intermarry with them, and so forth. It was not racism. It was extreme religious, religious hatred and prejudice. But now, Paul says, writing to these Gentiles, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near, namely the Jews, that through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. They are both now one body. Now this is a tremendous thing historically. I mean, in the context, Paul was a part of that system. He lived in that system. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He participated in that hatred of the Gentiles. And think of how it must have seemed to him to be liberated from that and to see the wall of petition broken down and to see Jew and Gentile together in one body because of what Christ had accomplished. Now this is a tremendous uh, statement of God's peace. And then go on to chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then chapter 6, verse 11. I think it's kind of ironical that this whole passage is about Armor. Armor for warfare. It's interesting. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. But it's not armor for the purpose of fighting a fleshly fight against our neighbor or another nation. It's armor for the purpose of fighting a fight against Satan and his demons. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, 
against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So God calls the gospel the gospel of peace. What a tremendous thing this thing, peace, is. And then turn over to Philippians, just a page or two in your Bibles. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So it's not just a legal piece, although that legal piece is foundational and and wonderful. And if it were not for the legal peace between us and God, because we are justified through the blood of Christ, then none of the other would would ever come about. But it's not just the legal peace, but it carries through into a peace that we are conscious of, a peace that passes all understanding. And then verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. These are the things that accompany peace. And then the next book, Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself, by Him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He has reconciled in the body of His flesh through that death, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight, if indeed you continue in the faith grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, became a minister. And then look at chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore is the elect of God, holy and beloved, Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so also must you do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. So we were called to the peace of God. And then 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 16. Now may the Lord of peace Himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. And then Hebrews Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Pursue peace with all people 
and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Now, bitterness is bitterness against people that have done you wrong. And Paul says, pursue peace with all. And then our last reference, First uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So we are to seek peace and pursue it always as believers in our relationship with each other and our, in our relationship with the world. The only place that there's never going to be peace between us and and another is our warfare with Satan. And God frequently gives us peace with our neighbors. And we are to pursue peace with our neighbors. Those that are not believers in Christ always seek that. Okay, let's stop there and have a word of prayer. Our Father and our God, we thank you for the great peace that passes all understanding that we have through the blood of Christ who has purchased our redemption. We just praise you and thank you that we now are able to come into your presence, we who were aliens and who were enemies and without hope, now can come before you and know that you have redeemed us through the blood of your own Son. We thank you for this great peace in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.